Hello and welcome to you all my partners in crime. It's so great to see you again today. Now today's case is what I've advertised, the Susie Lampu case. Now I'm going to call her Susie, but her name was Susanna Jane Lampu. And now this case is an unsolved case and it's been an unsolved case for, what, nearly 35 years. <sighs> Shocking, really. Um, her disappearance, I think, is one of the biggest and the most you know, enduring mysteries, I think, in British criminal history. No one can find this body. No one can really find who the perpetrator was that committed this crime. And it isn't for lack of searching. As we go into it, sometimes when I speak about the police and I say that they've got this tunnel vision, some of the suspects, or one main suspect, that comes through in this case, I'm not really sure if it was him or not. And so this case, I'm going to really leave it up to you. I'm going to give you all the evidence, or the evidence, what they know of. And I'm going to leave this up to you to make up your mind um, to what you think may have happened to Susie. So Susie Lampu was 25 at the time of her disappearance. She was reported missing on Monday the 28th of July in 1986. She was last seen in Fulham, uh, West London, at around 1pm on that day. Now Susie was working at, um, as a real estate agent in Fulham and she was working for the Sturgis Estate Agency in Fulham Road. So I think I need to explain to you a little bit about this estate agent and how it worked really. I think we're talking about 1986 aren't we when you know we didn't have all the internet going where you could advertise and do everything online. And so Susie was a very pretty girl. She was a, you know, an outgoing girl. And they used to place Susie at the front of the shop where you could see her as you walked past. Now, I think that's relevant in this. You know, I think as we come down into suspects, there are issues with this when it comes to Susie's disappearance. But I'll go into that a little bit later on. So she was working at this estate agency and um, she was quite she was really quite good because she was quite a personable person she was an interesting person happy-go-lucky person as i said attractive person liked her job loved her job was always on time and she had quite meticulous notes of where the houses she was going to view and who she was going to meet and what times and dates and stuff like this the records were quite full because even if these people hadn't have brought that home they may have brought another one so her records were usually quite you know extensive in contact details this that and the other but her last entry on that day her appointment was at i think 12:45 with a man called Mr Kipper but that was all there was and it was the name of the street where she was going and at the time she was going to meet him and it had os or o/s what meant she was going to meet someone outside a property now that was all the details there was. So whether this was a quick phone call that someone had made to say, I need to see this home, we'll look into that in a minute, or whether it was not really an appointment. It was Susie getting out of work for an hour, which we've all done. Because the details of this Mr. Kipper wasn't clear. There was no phone number left next to it. There was no detailed notes that she would usually make if she was going to view a home with someone, show a home. There wasn't these detailed notes. 
So we don't know, or what the police don't know is really, was this re a real appointment? Or was this just Susie's way of getting out of work for a little while and going to meet somebody which was not related to work? We don't know. So she's left this office. Now, she didn't put Sherrod's Road or Sherrod Street or because it was Sherrod's Road. She just put Sherrod's OS. And people assume that's that. And there was some sightings of her as well around that time. So a witness did report seeing a woman that sort of resembled uh, Susie. And she was talking to a man in Sherrod's Road and then getting into a car. Now, Susie had her own car. She had this uh, white um, Ford Fiesta. Um, and it was found on the 28th of July, July outside the property um, of a cell in Stevenage Road in Fulham, which was about a mile and a half from um, Sherrard's Road, where this assumed sighting of her was. Now, the Sherrard's Road sighting was a man and a woman standing outside looking up at a block of flats. And the man had a bunch of flowers in his hand and a bottle of champagne. It could have been them. It was a sight. It could have been her talking to her perpetrator. It could have been. So when they found her car after she'd been reported missing and the parents had gone looking, everyone had gone looking, the police were out looking. They found her car in the Stevenage Road, but the handbrake was off. So it was just like it was left. It was parked over a garage. So in London, even in 1986, it was difficult to park. So to park sort of half over someone's garage, it's, you just wouldn't do it. So it looks like someone would have parked up quite quickly there and jumped out of the car. Now, um, so the car keys were missing. So the handbrake was off, car keys were missing. And Susie's purse was found in the storage pocket of one of the car doors. Now, you know, us women, I think even men, would not leave their wallet or their purse with everything in it in a car. So this was unusual. Plus the way it was parked, the handbrake not up, it looked like it was a speedy exit. Plus, the car driver's car seat was pulled so far back. I mean, Susie wasn't that tall, not tall, that she couldn't have been able to drive this car with this seat pulled back so far. And um, so they knew then that someone else had driven that car. So whether Susie met someone at the Sherrod's Road or Sherrod's Road to show them this property, this man with the roses and the champagne, and then he got into her car and then later took her car back to Stevenage Road in Fulham and left her car after killing and dumping her body. That's probably what happened here because Susie was impossible for Susie to drive this car with this seat back so far. Plus the passenger door I think was the only one that was open or unlocked. So there's issues around here. So I don't think Susie was taken from Stevenage Road. I think she was taken from Sherrod's Road in Fulham on that day. It must have been very, very quick 
abduction, really. Uh, and then the perpetrators drove the car back and dumped it in Fulham Road and not caring that he'd parked halfway over someone else's garage so they couldn't get their car in and out. Um, so there's issues with the car. And then when they've detailed this car and they found, you know, there's DNA in this, there, there really wasn't anything in this car. Now we are talking about July. Now we are talking about England and um, July in 1986, it could have been a wonderful day. Um, so you, to wear gloves and everything else, you would have sort of seen um, a bit out of place. Plus the person that Susie was or meant to have been seen talking to that afternoon with the flowers and the champagne was a very well-dressed man in a suit, you know, looks very, I mean, Fulham Road, even in them days, wasn't the cheapest place to buy properties. So he came across as a businessman when people said they saw these people and assumed it may have been Susie that he was talking to. This man was very well dressed, very, very well dressed. And plus the other car that was spotted in that area was a black BMW. Again, can be another expensive car. So these are the sort of only clues there are. So we only have the slang for Jack the Ripper. You could have that. Also, if you add DNA to it, it's kidnap. So whoever has she was meeting maybe used that name and as knowing how they portrayed their self underneath, you know, with this mask of sanity that I talk about. Some perpetrators like to have cryptic clues. They play games and it could have been that. Or it could have been that that's the name that she called the person that she was seeing, which have no relevance to do with her job at all. We just don't know. Following Susie's disappearance, the police tested DNA of 800, 800 unidentified bodies and skeletal remains that matched her description. 800. Susie was officially declared dead in 1994 and she was presumed to have been murdered, which I think we can all presume that really by this stage. So this, they had renewed investigations, I think in 1998 and again in 2000, and, and they all failed to come up with anything, any trace of her at all. That was it. From that day, on the 28th of July, 1986, Susie Lampu has never been seen or heard of since. Not a sign of her anywhere. So in 2002, it was reported that convicted rapist and murderer, John Cannon, would have or could have killed Susie. Now, John was born on the 20th of February, 1954, a former car salesman, um, and he was convicted, I think, in 1988 of murder and of sexual offences. In 1968, at the age of 14, John Cannon um, indecently assaulted a woman in a phone box, um, and that was in um, Erdington, and was placed on probation. I mean, but this was, you know, 1968 and he was 14. So this is a perpetrator and I can see why they're looking at him. He started young and he just progressed and progressed and progressed as many do. And we've said this before about these sort of perpetrators, you know, their history as you go right back in their history 
it, they start very young. Now this is the this is like 14. This is when he was finally caught for something indecent, assaulting a woman in a phone box. Um, but did he do anything earlier? We don't know. So I think he was married, but his marriage ended, I think, um, in 1980, and um, he was married to um, Daphne Sargent, and he assaulted her um, when she tried to leave him. So you've got now this character, haven't you? So we know he's already, from a very young age, he's done indecent assaults and things. God knows what he's done up to the time he's got married. But as he's got married, he's then become this really, you know, possessive person. He's got this personality because she tried to leave him. And we talk about this in domestic abuse cases and stuff like that. The character of some of these people, they can't handle that rejection. I don't really know about his, John's sort of um, childhood because I haven't really gone into it because this case is not really about him. But I think we need to explain about him because this is why the police have him as this suspect. One, because I think it was early, um, you know, indecent assaults and as he's led up and, and stuff like that. So in early 1981, John Cannon robbed a petrol station and also a knitwear shop at Knife Point. Um, and I think in the petrol station, he tied up the shop assistant's mother with a pair of tights and raped the shop assistant after threatening to stab her baby. So this man is a dangerous man. This man is a predator, he's a sexual predator. Okay, by this stage, we don't know if he's murdered anyone, but he's certainly raping and he's certainly using knives. He, he's got this sort of character, as we can see, coming out. So, again, our English justice system, he served five years out of the eight, because he got eight years, and he, that's what he was sentenced for, for the rape, uh, after he was convicted in June 1981. Five years, that's it, for rape, tying up someone, threatening with a knife, threatening to, you know, assault the child as well. Shocking, really, just shocking. Now, John served this sentence at HM Prison, Bristol, before he was actually transferred to London. I don't know why they transfer him all to London, but he did. He was then on day release, you see, from a hostel from Worm, in Wormwood Scrubs. So you've got Wormwood Scrubs and it's a hostel, it's like a, you know, as they're getting ready to come out, or they did in them days, I don't know, these hostels are still going now. So he was in the area, okay, he was in the Scrubs area when, in 1986, when Susie Lampu went missing. So I think this is what puts him in the frame for this murder. I think history, background, um, and he was in the area at the time. But there were so many more killers and murderers and serial killers in London at this time as well. So we can't forget about that. I think the police have in a, in a way. So the police say that John Hannon's MO that he pretended to be a West Country businessman, which he did, all right? Very well-dressed businessman. He would ply these women with chocolates and flowers, and then he would attack these women when they rejected him. Now, Susie Lampu was seeing somebody. She was seeing a few people, actually, because she was 25, living life, uh, and had a very active sex life and in, enjoyed herself with friends and stuff, but she was seeing someone. And someone, 
I think her mother says or said that she she just sort of not sort of said always because in them days we didn't know what stalkers and that was did we people that were persistent and wouldn't leave you alone um, and Susie had met someone she said he was a really nice man but then all of a sudden the relationship turned a little bit strange and so Susie sort of just said to her mum, oh, we'd, you know, he'll go away soon, it's uh, nothing. But she didn't actually mention his name. Now, we don't know if that could have been John Cannon or not, do we? We don't know. It could have been somebody else that she was seeing um, that had turned a bit funny and it worried her a little bit, but she discarded it. Because we know, don't we, that John does not like rejection. He pretends to be this businessman, this rich businessman, intelligent, personable. He actually, when you read his case, you know, about him, um, he does remind me of another serial killer. And we'll go into this in a minute. I don't like to put him against anybody else because they love all this, don't they? But he does remind me of a very well-known serial killer who has this same charismatic way about him. And when you read about John Cannon, it's very similar to him. His looks, his actions, his charismatic way with the women, until that mask is comes off and what is really like underneath comes out. Now this is John Cannon all over. So whether he had met Susie through his um, pretend life, should we say, because we know he was on, you know, staying in this hostel in Wormwood Scrubs and it was well known that he was getting out the window at night and going to the local pubs. He was allowed out day release to go and find work and do work and that we don't know what else he was doing on that day, do we? We don't. We don't know if he'd met Susie in a pub, in the local pub. We just don't know at all. But his character, I suppose, and I think this is why the police went for him and have sort of focused all their... Um, stuff on him because of the way he portrayed himself and how he got women and he loved professional women he loved that I think he felt he was something more than he was and so he needed to get these professional women but as you see when he got them he couldn't keep them he just couldn't keep them because he couldn't keep this mask up he couldn't keep this persona up this false persona, this life. This man was a criminal. This man was a rapist already. This man was a dangerous man already. So on the outside, when people or these women would meet this man, of course he's going to come across intelligent, nice, friendly, buy you flowers, buy you this, buy you that. But the minute you see people, women are not stupid. You can see through them. And so it's certain actions, isn't it, that people do, I think, that we pick up on. You know, it's that inner feeling, isn't it, we get when you think something's not right. And I think this happened with Susie. Now, I'm not saying that John Cannon murdered this girl. I'm not. Because there's actually no evidence to say he did. Not really. And I think as we go through this, you can see. But I think someone with the same character, with the same personality, as John definitely did this murder. So at the time, I think um, after that, just after um, Susie Lampu's disappearance, um, 
I think he went to live in Bristol then and he was having an affair with a solicitor. And this is what I'm saying, these people are professional women. These are professional people. She probably didn't even know that he had a criminal record. She probably didn't even know that he was um, out of prison. Probably not because this man didn't portray that sort of image. This man portrayed an image of being a very wealthy businessman, a very intelligent man. I mean, he even went on dating sites. And if I can find a clip, I'm gonna put it on here for you. And you will see his personality. And this wasn't just a dating site. You know, he was after professional people. He was after people that he could get into their lives. And when you see this interview, you'll see what I mean about his character. So I dislike of inflated egos. Mm -hmm. um, people who are, they look at me, I'm great type. Mm -hmm. I don't like that. Right. I, I can't handle that sort of inner weakness. They're kind of pretentious. Yeah, I don't nature. like that at all. I just like just normal average people. Yeah. And what do you look for in a person of the opposite sex when you first meet? What would attract you? Well, I think apart from the physical mm -hmm. side, um, again, I think somebody who's pleasant, mm -hmm. who's natural, um, who's relaxed, who's, uh, somebody who's calm, you're just not, pleasant, you're just not worried nice. You're career-orientated? No, 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 no. Well, as somebody who's career-orientated myself, I couldn't mm -hmm. blame them for that. Yeah. Um, no, no, not at all. Not at all. Now, do you admire any famous people past or present? Yes, I And if you listen to what he says in these interviews, he uses certain terminology and his language skills. They, he's trying to portray something he's not, because you can tell that by the wording that he used. He used it in the wrong context in a lot of times. But for some layperson, when you're just looking at this and you're thinking, oh, I wouldn't mind dating him, you know, he's on the video camera and he's saying what he wants out of a woman and what he can do, he comes over very charismatic. A lot of women would have been fooled by John Cannon. Oh, loads, without a doubt. So only 10, let's get back to this, this case. So only 10 weeks after his release from prison, he then goes on and rapes a woman at Knife Point in Reading in Berkshire. Uh, in October 1986, an attack, uh, on the attack, he was linked by DNA and by the semen. So I don't, you know, you're talking about there was no evidence left when we talk about Susie Lampu, there was nothing in the car, nothing. We know the person drove the car. We know that. There was no evidence in this car at all. This man doesn't seem to hide his evidence. He doesn't do it unless, you know, he just doesn't. This was 1986, 10 weeks after his release. He'd leave his semen, but he left nothing in Susie Lampu's car if he'd done it. Doesn't add up at all. It really doesn't. He's not that clever this man, to have done this, to abduct her, use her car, and we know the perpetrator, perpetrator drove that car because of the seat so far back. But yet John will leave his semen at a scene of a rape. I don't think it's the same person, really. But I'm going to carry on with the police's so-called evidence against him and let you make up your mind. So he was arrested for this fence early and it gave, he gave an alibi to say that he was in Sutton Coalfield, I think where his mother lived at the time of the attack and the forensic evidence wasn't strong enough to charge him at that time. And then 
uh, an earlier DNA profile was inconsistent. So again, the, but the Home Office and the ICI um, both ran tests again in 1988. Again, because now DNA has got better and it was um, demonstrated that there was a match now to his DNA for that rape. The police also used though, evidence from this cash card or pay, cash point card um, and it proved that he had travelled from London to Bristol on that day. Now Reading is on the railway tra track between these two cities. So if you're going from London to Bristol, you could have got off at Reading. This is what they're saying he did, got off at Reading. He'd raped this woman, got back on a train and then gone on his way to Bristol. So in October 1987, um, I think John tried to abduct a 30-year-old woman, a Bristol businesswoman, again a businesswoman, and her name was Judy Holman, from a car park at around 6.30 or 6.50 p.m. And this was now at gunpoint. So he'd now gone from knives to guns. Uh, she fought him off and um, she also later identified him as her attacker. Then the next night, he abducted Shirley Banks. He was given three life sentences and recommended never to be released um, for the murder of Shirley Banks in Bristol in 1987 and attempted and the attempted kidnap of Julie Holman on the previous night and then the rape of a woman in Reading in 1986. So he was done for all three. He only ever targeted professional women. And it is claimed that his nickname in prison was Kipper. So, I mean, the thing is with prison and prisoners is that you do have nicknames, but whether he had this nickname after the fact or before, I don't know, because it's difficult to find out. And when they say it's been claimed that that's what people called him, um, that's just a claim, isn't it? It's an assumption that, that, that they're telling the truth, really. But again, if he was, then it's a clear indication, isn't it, really? But it wasn't, he wasn't known to his family or anybody else by that name. So I don't know if the word Kipper or the association with Kipper came after Susie Lampu's murder. However, again, in December 2002, one of John's um, fellow prisoners told police that John had buried um, Susie Lampu under the patio of his mother's home in Sutton Coalfield uh, in the West Midlands. Now, you know, again, you're talking about prisoners. You're talking about people, really, because who have got nothing else to do. If he's going to tell somebody that, because he's actually, he's always denied any involvement in this murder, always. There is no DNA proof have he's done anything to Susie Lampu in this whole case. So his MO, is it really the same as what you'd expect from someone that killed Susie Lampu? Because we know she's dead. I don't know, because there's not enough evidence. But they are so blinded, the police, that he had done it. They really are, they're blinkered. And I think when this happens, and we've spoke about this before in many other cases, you can't make up evidence. And they tried to, he was arrested for Susie Lampu's murder. It was took it to the CPS, the evidence, it was really said, no, there is no evidence. And there is no evidence 
that he done this murder. Yes, he is a perpetrator, he is a serious, serious criminal, and he is a murderer, without a doubt. And he would have continued on to murder and murder and murder, rape, rape, rape. Of course he would. Of course he would. But I don't know if you can specifically pinpoint him to Susie Lampu's murder. I just don't. Now, the police say, but he's the only suspect in Susie Lampu's disappearance and murder. The only suspect. Well, how can he be? Because you haven't got enough evidence now to say that this man done it at all. You've got hearsay, really, from perpetrators, and I think one of the perpetrators was also a rapist anyway, um, that said about John Cannon's, you know, telling him he's buried it under the mother's patio. And don't think they haven't dug up the ma mother's patio and they took down sheds, they've dug up all this part. I mean, this is literally wasting police time. But when you have now a suspect that you are clearly stated, and they've stated that he is the only suspect in this case, he's done this murder, that's what the police have said. Now, we've looked over many, many cases, haven't we, from the 80s and 90s, where the police have been so blinkered in their, you know, <laughs> focus on someone that they've not looked at others in this case. And I think if they had it, maybe then, we didn't know in 1986 and 1990s, really, about the stalkers, the effects of how a stalker can have on someone's life. You, you, you know, some people don't even know they're being stalked. Susie was sitting in an office in Fulham Road, out to the world. <clears throat> there's her desk, there's the street. Anybody, anybody could have had a fascination for Susie Lampu. Anybody could have rung that office and made an appointment. Anybody, really anybody. Anybody could have took her because there's no evidence to say he did it or anyone else did it, to tell you the truth. So when we look at John <coughs> Cannon, I don't think he would have destroyed all the evidence. You would have found the body, because you found the others. He wasn't that sort of killer. So yes, his MO was similar, but not exact. Because if it was, she'd have been found. There'd have been DNA, something left in that car. And there wasn't. And where did he get a BMW from? So Cannon or John Cannon is a Category A prisoner um, or offender in HMP Fulham, Sutton, Yorkshire or York. Um, he still protests his innocence to this day. Uh, he studied for an open university degree while in prison. He was set a minimum tariff of 35 years, meaning that he will not become eligible for parole until 2023. Oh, what are we in now? 2021. We're in now. And then it will only be released if the parole board rules that he is no longer a serious danger to the public. Well, let's wait and see for that one. Now, there was a man that came forward within this investigation that said that he had seen someone who looked like John the day after 
the murder of Su or the disappearance of Susie Lampoon, carrying a big suitcase holding type bag. And he threw that into one of the local rivers. Now, that river has never been looked at. I mean, you're talking about the expense of this case has been massive. They've searched many, many places for Susie Lampoon, really only on hearsay evidence from <laughs> prisoners, really. And they found nothing. So I actually think they're looking in the wrong area, really. The problem is, is John now is coming up for parole. And, uh, you know, will the police, uh, the parole board, actually allow him out? Well, I'm not going to say they're not going to, are they? Because look what we've seen before. So if he did kill Susie Lampu, just say he did. You've got a man going to be released out again. Because they've searched, they've tried to find a body, they've tried to find a body, then they're hoping they're going to find evidence. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if this man's going to be released either. If this man is released in 2023, that's two years away, actually. You know, um, I still believe he would be a serious danger to the public, and especially professional women. So let's talk about other suspects now. Now, in 1982, Susie Lampu had worked as a beautician and she was on the ocean liner, the QE2, the Queen Elizabeth II, we call it the QE2. Beautiful. And at the same time, a man called Steve Wright was also on this ship, working as crew for a whole year together. Now, Stephen Wright, was convicted in February 2008 of the murder of five prostitutes in Ipswich. And we're gonna be doing his case at some point down the line. Now he was working as a steward on the QE2 for all the time that she worked on there as well. They would have known each other. They would have met without a doubt. He was a steward, steward. she was a beautician. People mix on this ship. You know, there's a lot of crew. That's all they have as life is their other crew members. They were on there for a year. She'd done this for about a year. This could be a possibility here, but the police discarded this, you see. They've discarded him. So this Stephen Gerald James Wright, and that's his full name, and he was born the 24th of August, 1958, and he is an English serial killer. Now we're talking about a serial killer here, a real serial killer, which they know, and we, so many links to this man killing others, but the police just discarded him. So I want to look more into Stephen Wright. So Stephen Wright is known as the Suffolk Strangler or the Ipswich Ripper. The Ipswich Ripper. You know, Kipper, slang for Yorkshire Ripper, you never know. Now he is serving a life imprisonment for the murder of these five women and they were all sex, sex workers from Ipswich, Suffolk. Now, Yes, they were all prostitutes, but the thing is with um, Steve Wright, he befriended them. These weren't just all strangers. They trusted him. They liked him. People couldn't really believe it was him when he got caught for this, to tell you the truth. He, yes, he used prostitutes, but he did befriend them. Of course, they're going to get in his car. He was kidding them. Now, we know he's killed five. Um, we really don't know how many more he could have killed but this man is a serial killer he also was known 
to know Susie Lampu. How do we know that they hadn't met up? He hadn't come to London. He hadn't had an infatuation with Susie from working with her on this ship. We don't know, and nor do the, the police, but they've discarded him. They've discarded a serial killer that rapes and murders women. And he only murdered prostitutes because they were easy for him to get to. They trusted him. That's why. It could have been anybody. It wasn't just because they were prostitutes. He didn't have a thing that he wanted to kill prostitutes. He didn't care. It was who he could get to easy and get and do what he wanted to do. And that was to kill them. The police have said that there wasn't enough, you know, between Susie's murder and him, they couldn't get some links. They couldn't find evidence, but they couldn't find evidence on anything because there just isn't any evidence. And it's not very lack of trying with the police. And I don't want to come across as, as saying about these police have not done their job. They've tried everything to do their job. There just isn't any evidence. But I don't know how you can hold on to one suspect and say this man has killed this girl with absolutely no evidence at all. Where you have a serial killer that knew her, had a previous relationship with her as a friend relationship. We don't know if it was sexual, probably not. But we know they knew each other. He knew of her. Just because Susie wasn't interested in him, how do we know now that Steve Wright wasn't interested in Susie Lampu? How do we know? We don't, and nor do they. And so they discarded him totally from the investigation. They just said it's a bit speculative. Well, I think it's more than speculative when you have a perpetrator that you know has killed five and others and won't admit to them others. And then you have a person that's known to him that was in 1986, disappeared off the face of the earth. I think it's more than speculative, really because he knew her, she would have recognised him. You just don't know. So here's another, for me, another prime suspect, really. And as I say, he's already been you know, put up for other murders. I think he's still been investigating the connection with an unsolved murder and the disappearance of others as well. Um, he was one of a number of high profile uh, murderers or sex offenders that had been identified as of possible suspects in other crimes. So Cleveland Police have not ruled him out either in the um, murder of Fricky Glass, uh, uh, who a heroin addict who vanished from Middlesbrough in September 2000, and whose naked body was found later in a brook in the uh, North York Moors. So, you know, he's never admitted that one either. Most perpetrators like this, serial killers, I'm not going to tell you anything. You know, it's very rare that they walk in. I think the next case we're doing, it, he literally walked in and told them, but that doesn't happen very often. They want you to work for it. You know, they're only going to admit to something if you've got evidence against them. Now, Steve Wright isn't admitting anything, really. They got him on the five, and that's all you're going to get from Steve Wright. So in June 2012, criminologist David Wilson love David Wilson by the way, hello David, um, suggested that the killer from um, Norwich, well, the killer of the Norwich prostitute, um, Michelle um, Bettles, um, may have been one of Wright's as well. But he's again, his theory was dismissed by police. Well why? What more evidence have you got? You've got no more evidence. I think I would believe David Wilson 
rather than the police to tell you the truth. He's a great criminologist, actually, David Wilson. Really, really good at what he does. Now, you know, they just dismiss it. And it's, you know, what is it? Because she was a prostitute? And, you know, the thing is, and I've always said this about prostitutes and the, the work they have to do, is that perpetrators like these go for them because one, their reliance on is that how can you then prove it was them because the multiple people it could have been, I suppose. Two, are the police really going to put the, everything they've got into the disappearance and murder then of a young girl? Yes, I'm not saying they're not, but um, would it be as much? It's more difficult to prove when someone has multiple partners and so they have lots of DNA and you could, he could have just said, I've slept with her and that's why my DNA is there. It's very hard to prove then the you know, murder, isn't it, to someone with these sort of victims. And this is why a lot of perpetrators choose these victims. One, because they're easy to get. Two, because it's more difficult to be charged with their crime, really, with their murders or rapes and stuff. It's very, very difficult to prove, uh, especially a rape, because it's about consent, isn't it? And we've spoke about this before. But to dismiss this, you know, um, these other murders, you know, this girl's family have got no answers. It's just another unsolved. It's, you know, like Susie Lampo, 35 years unsolved. It's a long time for a murder to be unsolved. So then we have to look now, don't we, with this search for Susie, I suppose. They've, and I think actually with um, Steve Wright, he, you know, it took a lot of searching. I mean, even though he pointed out where these bodies were, these bodies were hard to get to for Steve Wright when he actually said where they were. These weren't just thrown on a road. If he hasn't said where these bodies were, he should never have found these bodies. And I think he liked to dump them in water. There was lots of different things about Steve Wright. But, you know, even the dumping of a body for these killers means something to them. It means something. So listen, there's been many, many searches for Susie Lampu's body. Many, many searches. And none of them has turned up anything. And up to today, the 7th of April, 2021, Susie's body has never been found. From the day she left her office in Fulham Road to go and meet a Mr Kipper, for whatever reason she did, Susie Lampu has never been heard of since. Absolutely nothing. There's no evidence in this case at all. Not even DNA evidence. Susie Lampu's Trust is a charitable uh, foundation that was established in December of 1986 by Susie's parents, Paul and Diana. These people have now already passed away. Both of them, I think, Diana got Alzheimer's and then died, and then um, Paul died shortly after but they never stopped searching for their child, ever. And they started this trust, this, you know, and I think the mission of this trust is to raise awareness for personal safety. Um, and it's through training and other various projects that they do, and it's to help people avoid becoming victims of aggression, and they give counseling, they give support to relatives and friends of missing people. I think they also do the stalking awareness. So this is a really great charity. 
Now, the mother started it, the parents started it, and since their death it has been taken over and run and run and run, and it is a fantastic charity. Now, if I will put a link to this, and you can go and have a look at it yourself. If you need any help from these people, there's a beer link there as well. This is an amazing trust. The family were all members of this All Saints Church in East Sheen uh, in the London Borough of Richmond uh, upon Thames. Now, because Susie's body was never found, there was memorial things for her, but she was commendated with this or commemorated um, there in this stained glass window, and that was installed in 1996. Uh, it's really ca a sad case, this one, really, of Susie Lampert. So we have these, don't we, we have a couple of people that we could say that could have done this murder, and it is a murder, so abduction and murder of Susie. But the real issue is here, it could have been somebody else quite as easily as Susie sat in her window of her office looking out onto the world and the world watching in. We now know so much more about the stalker mentality, don't we? We do. And so that is a real possibility too. There's no evidence here. So I'm going to leave this up to you to what you think. Was it John? Was it Steve? Was it a stranger? Was it someone that Susie knew? Was it a lover, an ex-boyfriend, a colleague? Could have been anyone. Could have absolutely been anyone. Do I think this case will ever be solved? No, I don't. Because I think in 1986 and onwards, we didn't have what we have today. We didn't have CCTV everywhere in London. London's covered in it today. We didn't have the DNA testing that we have now in 1986. I don't know if Susie Lampu's car is still in a storage somewhere where it could be re-examined, but it was, it, I think it was re-examined in 1998 and showed nothing. So if it showed nothing then, it would be highly unlikely or it may have a little bit of trace DNA now. But that would be the only thing. Even now, if we find Susie Lampu's body, 35 years later, would that give us any evidence? It may do. It may do. Or even if we can find the area of where she was buried, it may do. But I don't think this case is ever going to be solved myself which is a real shame. And it is a real shame for Susie's family. And the mother and father are now passed away. Her sisters and brother still try and fight on to find out information. So I don't know if you remember anything from 1986, July the 28th, 1986. Did you see anything? Have you kept quiet because you didn't want to say anything? Because you didn't want to get into trouble? Was you with someone that had something to do with the disappearance of Susie Lampu? Because that could be a possibility too, couldn't it? People need to come forward, I think, if you know anything. They haven't up till now, but you just never know. And so this is why these crimes need to be gone over and over and over every three years to bring them in to the public light again. Because this girl deserves the right to rest in peace, to be found. 
to have answers. And I think that's all you can ask for, isn't it, really, with a crime like this. So, this has been the Susie Lampu case. Thank you, my partners in crime, for joining me today. And um, you know what to do. You can now follow me on Instagram. You can follow me on Facebook. You can catch this on the podcast, on Spotify. You can come and see me on my new channel. I think it's, I've changed it so many times. I think it's um, Living Life with Christina Moore. And it's a bit of behind the scenes. It's a bit about family life. I'm getting better, but there's some good news coming. And um, I'm getting a new camera. Oh, and hopefully we will do this better. But I appreciate every one of you that have subscribed to me, even with my terrible photography and, and, and sound and, and stuff. So I'm trying to get better. I appreciate it. I appreciate every like, every hit button. I don't know what this bell thing is, but I don't know. I still don't know what to do. So like it, hit it, subscribe to it, do what you have to do. So thank you, and I shall speak to you soon. So until next time, bye-bye.